Hey everybody, this is your man Jason Miles and Hey, this is Steve Connolly, sometimes known as hashtag unemployable. That's right. And today, you guys, we're gonna talk about the real estate of the union for 2022, right? We're gonna talk a little bit about what it was and a little bit about where we're going. So you can have a, a pretty good idea of what it is you want to do, right, Steve? Absolutely. You know, we need to know what has happened, what is happening, and what's going to happen, you know, to the best of our ability in terms of what's going to happen. No one can tell the future, of course, but let's be prepared. That's, That's right. the old Boy Scout motto be prepared, right? That's exactly right. So, you guys, you know, you're going to want to probably take some notes so you can kind of get your your thoughts in order. So get yourself a, a, a pen, paper, your your voice recorder, you know, your, in your notes, and we'll be right back to share this information with you as we see it. Boom, thank you guys for sticking with us. And welcome again to the Real Estate 360 show, the podcast, right? Uh, so make sure that you share this with people. And for all you guys that have been uh, uh, viewing and downloading and sharing, thank you so much. We really do appreciate you because we can see the growth on our end. So please keep sharing. And, and if you find value in it, of course, we want you to share and talk about it and engage with us. Tell us what you think because... You know, we have what we believe to be the truth, our opinion, and then there are facts which continue to be uh, taken in all kind of different ways, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, right, Steve? Absolutely. You know, some of them are facts and some of them are going to be, you know, predictions and opinions and uh, viewpoints, uh, but all of it will add to the whole and uh, we'll come out with a better picture of you know, what to do next, what to do now, what to do, what's coming up. And uh, it's going to be exciting, you know. That's right. Change equals opportunity. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And, and when we're, we're talking about the state of real estate, the real estate state of the union, right? And we need to understand what this is today more than, more than ever. Um, Steve, as you and I were talking about uh, before, the show, there are more millionaires than there have ever been in, in America, really around the world, but we're, we're kind of focused on America. I don't know if you guys knew that, but you know, we're kind of focused on the US, right? So, <laughs> but you know, a lot of these new millionaires came out of that 2008 uh, financial crisis that we had. And so their idea about money is a little different. Their belief system about money is a little different. You know, how they can earn it is is different today than it was in 2008. Look at all the, you know, the internet millionaires. I hesitate to call them dot-com millionaires, but the internet millionaires. You know, they have made their money in, in a way that for a lot of Americans, it seems like a fantasy. But again, all you have to do is look on social media to see how they're how they're spending that money. And they're not really preparing a lot of us, not just those new millionaires, but it's those new millionaires that are gonna, in the future, they're the ones that are gonna dictate policy, right? 
because mm -hmm. that's where the money is. The money is with them, and the, where the money is is where policy is dictated, as we can see in our current, you know, geopolitical climate, which, you know, we'll just kind of tiptoe around, you know, but wherever the money is has a tendency to, depending on who's in office, as you stated earlier, has a tendency to pull the strings. So seeing this class of people, these, these younger folks, let's just say, you know, they're, you know, in their mid, at the latest in their mid-30s, right? These, these millennials, at the latest in their mid-30s, mid to late 30s. And when, that, when the crash happened, we're talking 14 years ago, you know, a lot of them were in high school. A lot of them were younger mm -hmm. than that. Some of them were in yep. college, and their and their lives changed, and their and their family lives changed. And it stands to reason that how they think about money, and specifically money as it relates to home ownership or real estate as a whole, they think about it very differently than than we do. That's right. And you know, when we were talking about that, and you said there's more millionaires than ever. Of course, that's true. And the first thing that I thought of was, you know, the million today is not worth as much as the million 14, 15 years ago mm. or, or 30 years ago. And as we move forward in time with what's happening with uh, the quantitative easing and the Fed buying back their, their own bonds and, and creating you know, the, the significantly higher su uh, supply of money, you know what that does? That reduces the value of every dollar that we have. So a million dollars today is just not worth what it used to be. Now, don't get me wrong. A million dollars is still, a, you know, a good, good sum of money, but you can blow through a million pretty quick, you yeah, know, really quick. especially with the inflation that we have today. And, um, you know, I want to share a clip with you. You know, I, I like to look at what all of the, you know, the quote unquote gurus, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you know, the, the people that have made a ton of money off of real estate and other things, you know, how they think about it and what they see. And I was watching this uh, Robert Kiyosaki clip and I, I wanted to, you know, share it. So let me let me play this for you so we can get your uh, your take on it. OK. OK. So there's all kinds of things going on in real estate today, but it, it'll eventually crash simply because the government is making it so expensive to build a house. Right. And so now we come right back into a situation where, you know, here's a guy who's made a ton of money off of real estate, is making a ton of money off of real estate, will continue to make, to make a ton of money off of real estate. Talking about a thing that touches us as flippers, or even new construction people, but it's different for the big boys. But it touches us in a in a really intimate way. I mean, we've we've known what the values were for our materials for years, and we can handle, you know, moderate ups and downs. But when you see, you know, materials tripling in price, literally tripling in price, you know, it really throws a monkey wrench in your ability to fix and flip a house, right? Yes, it does. And, you know, Kiyosaki's been around for a while and he's certainly made a good bit of money in real estate. And that's one of his cornerstones. You and I have been around for a while and we have seen the cycles. You know, what spikes up is 
generally going to spike down at some point. So, you know, we're going to be looking, we think, at a correction. And, um, you know, with the politics these days, it's gotten a little bit, a little bit crazy, I think. Uh, I don't think I'm stepping too far out of the, the boundary to say, hey, it's nuts out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, it's, and, and what I have noticed over my, you know, 30 or so plus years uh, in real estate and 40 or so plus years in businesses, and, and this is speaking from an, um, an entrepreneur's perspective, not mm-hmm. an employee, right. you know, not, not somebody who's going to, you know, go get their, go every day to work and get their paycheck. But from an, from an entrepreneur's point of view, it just gets more and more difficult to do business and make money when there's a Democrat controlled, um, you know, basically government, it's just harder. You know, when you get the Republicans in there, they start loosening some of the, the restrictions and the, um, the controls, and it gets a little bit easier. But that said, overall, what's going on in, in the state of the real estate union? Well, you, you, really, brought, kind of, you really brought a, a, real, a real solid point there because, you know, when we see Democratic, um, you know, when everything is democratic policies <laughs> right when exactly these, these policies you know the interest rates are going to go up we know that it always does money winds up being stagnant and sitting on the sidelines waiting for different kind of opportunities because you know contrary to i, I hesitate to even say popular opinion in in a democratic office you know things seem to slow down quite significantly and we we as entrepreneurs have to find, you know, different ways to maneuver inside that. You know, we just came out of a Republican um, uh, um, office where interest rates were really low. Just talking about business, okay? Forget all of the minutiae, all the extra stuff. Just talking about Please. business, right? Interest rates were low. It was easy to do business, relatively speaking, that is. Um, but mm-hmm. now we're going to start to see some of those corrections. And rightly so, we need to see some of those corrections. But I I, want to go into another clip where I I believe this clip is by Ken, uh, Ken uh, McElroy, um, about a little bit about what those low interest rates look like. So we have uh, the Fed just announced they're going to keep interest rates low for about five more years. But that means my generation, we're screwed because Wells Fargo is not going to pay dividends. Uh, for pensions to operate, they need about a 7% return. And because they suppressed the interest rates, just like they suppressed COVID, what a fake that was. But they suppressed interest rates and they suppressed COVID. It kills everybody. It's COVID. That's right. You know, you know, we've been in a situation where rates have been suppressed. We've kept them low, you know, for one reason or another. I mean, there was an argument um, when we when we had uh, Trump in office, he wanted to really push for, you know, negative zero to negative interest rates, which, you know, most economists globally would say, hey, that's a horrible thing. But we got as close to zero as we could possibly get. Right. And uh, 
you know, we don't live in a banking system where we can put money into the banks anymore and actually make money, right? So, so it'll, it'll not at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, where does that where does that money go? Of course, we know the banks invest that money, but you know, from these big institutional investors that have all that money sitting on the sidelines because they understand this 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 part of the cycle that we're in. You know, where does that leave? You know, the little guy and and what they should know. And what they should do in an economic cycle, at least at the point of the uh, that we're in in this current economic cycle, you know, what is the little guy to do when they maybe just entered the workforce and you know five years ago, let's say, and they've been saving up their money or very you know diligently investing their money to get to a point where okay, boom, and we're talking about real estate, right? So we're like, okay, we're 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 Dipping and dodging. What are we doing? Are we wholesaling? Are we fixing, flipping? Are we buying, holding? Well, for for me, anyway, the market dictates which which thing we're going to be doing and for how long, right? Completely, it, it has to. Um, you know, where a few years ago, frankly, you know, we could run around in certain areas of Atlanta and find as many of the wholesale property transactional deals, if you will, I don't care for the word deals, but single family houses that had enough uh, spread in them in those gentrifying areas that, I mean, we could do as many as we wanted, really, as mm -hmm. many as we could handle. And uh, that's not the case today. That's at right. All. Not at all. And that was just a few years ago. You know. So the market's going to dictate what we're doing. So what are we doing, you know? That's um, right. So, you know, and where are we going? And where are we going? Okay. So I, I can tell you from my experience, I know that these, the cost to renovate these houses, I mean, you, you when you watch your, your typical news channel, you know, they're going to tell you that, you know, there's a shortage of homes or they're going to tell you home builders are, you know, just killing the game right now. Right. But it's getting super, super expensive. I mean, they're not going to, just eat the increased cost of materials, they're not going to do it. So we're going to see home prices. In fact, did you know that the average home price right now in America is $362,800? I didn't think it was that high. I thought it was in the 300s, but I didn't realize it was getting close to 400000 yeah, Exactly. It's absolutely, utterly insane. So, you know, where are we, where are we headed? In my opinion, you know, we're going into some a, a, a rental kind of situation because there are a ton of issues there. But let's check this next clip out. To home ownership during this time. And what happens when it reverses is they go back into rentals. And that's where we're going to head in a minute. So as you can see, this all fell here. And here's where we are now. So the home ownership rate is down to about 65% from 68%. Well, that might not seem like a lot, guys. That's millions and millions of people that are coming out of home ownership into rentals. The second thing, interest rates, they're going up. Let me show you guys. It's all over the news if you haven't read this. The Treasury Secretary Yellen says that rates may have to rise somewhat to keep the economy from overheating. Things are overheating right now. Prices are going crazy, guys. And the Fed uses 
the interest rate as a barometer, as a gas pedal and a brake to be able to put the brakes on an economy. And that is 100% correct. You know, we're, we're looking at home values getting so high, interest rates are going to go up. Of course, uh, we knew they were going to do that. I was expecting at least one rate hike in, in, in January, but they opted not to do that. Now, one can say, well, they didn't do it because, you know, of whatever reason. The reality of it is they need people to continue to spend, right? They need yeah. to, they need to, to, to get uh, all of this money that they put out there during the pandemic. They need to rake it back in. Because what's going to happen when they rake it back in? If people keep spending, it winds up back into the hands of the government, right? So, and people are going to keep spending. We've seen that. We've seen people just spend, 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 spend monies that they don't even have. They spent borrowed money that the government is going to take back the minute they file their taxes. You know, but, you know. You know, the U.S. economy has converted to a consumer economy. Of course. It used to be a manufacturing and product uh, production economy. It's not that anymore. It's all services and consumer spending. That's right. So so how do you control that though? You have to spend the money to keep the economy going. Yeah, but but how does how does how does the government and or big business how do they control that knowing that that's the case? Well, there's only one way they can control it. That's by expanding and contracting inside the walls of the United States of America. So you create inflation, massive inflation. I mean, there's no financial reason, good reason, that there shouldn't have been a rate hike in January to slow, start to slow things down so that we can control this inflation, whether it's, you know, because some people believe it's, you know, it's not real, but it's there. It's real if we feel it at the grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. So it's real if we you feel know, at the gas station. This is not something you and I have talked about, but, you know, I believe that we don't really need to do any rate hikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smith, you know, the economist from the 1800s said mm-hmm. it's all supply and demand. You know, when, when we get too much supply, uh, the demand is going to go down and the prices are going to go down. When the prices go up like that, you know, demand is going to go down, but people are not going to buy as much because the prices are too high. Absolutely. But that's and, when money was money. You know, we're that's true. <laughs> you know, there was a different value, you know, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with the supply and demand aspect of it when money is actually money and it's not but, currency. But still, it's not a fiat. Most people, most people have a pretty set income. They're going to be making mo, you know, pretty much the same amount of money this year as they did last year. And if you know grocery prices go up 20, 30%, if housing goes up 20, 30%, where's that money coming from? You know, it's not going to be, you know, magically appearing in their paychecks. You know, so no. they're just going to be spending less. Well, absolutely. But in an economy like you just described that we are living in the consumer one where supply and demand doesn't matter as much because money isn't money you Mm -hmm. know it's currency and there's a difference the only way to control that and to allow future growth 
is expansion and contraction internally. And if you, if you have that expansion, doesn't matter if it's real or not, because people feel it when there's money flying around, right? Doesn't matter that that dollar is only worth, you know, 80 cents or whatever the case, right? Uh, to, to the person, the boots on the ground, people, regular people, they got a dollar in their hand and they're going to go spend it as far as it'll go. So they're going to do that. And right now the government is setting up big business and itself to rake money in. Absolutely. To rake it in. That's why they didn't, that's why they didn't raise the interest rates. And when they start raising them in March, they're going to raise them slow. And that's, and that's when we have that, uh, 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 contraction. That's when we'll see rates go down. You know, that's and when you know, we'll see, I mean, not rates, excuse me. Um, uh, values, demand. excuse me, values. Values, yeah. values will right. go down. And, and that's what we're going to see. I firmly it believe that. Much. It won't take much of a rate increase to, to, to cause that to happen. No, I mean, no. they're already putting fear in people right now. Exactly. It's a fear, it's a fear based economy, really. You know, you, so what if you raise the rate a quarter or half a point, you know, from three to three and a half or three and a half to four? I mean, it really doesn't make that big of a difference in the payment. And, and of course, the interest rates uh, themselves are what's driving the price of the houses up. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, the ability to, for people to buy a $400,000 house at 2% is, you know, much more than, you know, 4% because they're paying twice as much, you know. Well, let's let's hear 4%. a little bit about that. Let's hear a little bit about that, those construction costs. And the last thing is construction costs. So those of you who have been under a rock, you know that construction costs are really, really high right now. That's creating affordability issues. As you guys can see, the con- from construction costs, home builders and buyers face high prices due to construction costs that are going up. In fact, the National Association of Home Builders right here, check this out. They've added $35,872 for one house. And so what we're seeing is there's no way the builder absorbs that. There's no way the contractor absorbs that. These costs get passed right through to the homeowner and it creates more and more affordability issues. And and that's exactly what we were talking about right there, Steve. That mm-hmm. is literally what we're talking about. And that's, and that's what we're seeing. So you're 100% right. Low interest rates are going to push the values of the homes up. That coupled with this you know, ridiculous increase in material costs because they're not going to eat it. You know, the, they, I mean, can't. They, they simply <laughs> can't. They're, there's no way they can. And when you look at, a, a, you know, a builder, you know, they're making anywhere between 13 and 15 percent profit from the retail number on each one of these houses. So if it's a $400,000 house, best case scenario, they're going to make, you know, $60,000 selling that house. Best case scenario. But if they've got a $35,000 increase in the cost to build that house, they're going to start looking at two things, right? They're going to start looking at incentives and they're going to start looking at increasing prices, which brings up the affordability issue, we, we, which we are watching nationwide. Nationally, we're seeing you know, affordability issues and, and, and income dis, uh, discrepancies, you know, so that people can't afford these things because you're not building, you know, it's, you're not building $200,000 houses anymore. I mean, it's, I, I don't even know what that would look like. I no, don't even I don't know what it would look, you know, 
and and we're in the south. We're in the southeast where it's generally a lot more affordable to build. I don't know what a two hundred thousand dollar house would look like today. I mean, it would definitely be a house where the wind would be able to blow it over. <laughs> That's a mobile home. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there, there's, there you have it. There's your Uncle Bob, right? But you know, but you do have these issues, you know, and you, you made mention of that as well. I mean, look at mobile home parks right now. There is an absolute boom in mobile home parks right now, Steve, because of the affordability issue. Well, you know, we're in a cycles. It's all cycles. You know, when you've been around for a while, you can step back and see, you know, hey, we're in this particular cycle. Now, there are nuances to this one that are completely different than anything I've ever seen. And uh, but, you know, that's what makes it kind of exciting. But here's the thing, you know, we've always heard and we've heard that this is a boom bust economy. Mm. And it seems like that the the wave patterns of these cycles is getting shorter and shorter. So we we boom and we bust and we boom and we bust. So if we're in the boom cycle right now, how long have we been in it? And what, what's coming next? Maybe a bust. You know, the only question is how much, you know? That's right. right? Every organism has to breathe. I mean, in economies, has they have to breathe too. You can't just breathe in all the time. You have to breathe out, you know? And, and where are the opportunities coming up in 2022 right. and beyond? You know, where are they? I mean, I have my beliefs. You know, I believe for sure that we're moving from an, an equity acquisition standpoint to a cash flow uh, position because we know we're gonna see a correction. And what does that mean? That means for the person that bought a house today for $350,000, I believe by the end of the year, that property is gonna be worth you know 320, maybe even 300. Hmm. Because you know, a lot of economists disagree with you on that. You know, they say that prices are going to go continue to go up this year. I think they will, but not towards the end of the year. I think that once we start, I think the Fed is going to increase rates at least. They're going to do it twice, maybe three times this year. And if mm -hmm. they do that, we're going to see a major slowdown in home sales because people are going to say, hey, a $350,000 house you know, in the beginning of the year, or let's say a year ago, my note would have been $1,400. That same $350 or $350,000 house today is going to cost me, you know, $1,500 with the, with the rate increase. You know, that $300 a month is putting me out, put, puts them out. So what has to happen? If the rates are going to go up, value's got to come down. Has to. And that's going to leave a ton of Americans with potentially negative equity. That's right. But they'll have a great interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> they will. And, and they have to, it's time. They have to see their way through it. But but that creates an opportunity for, for folks like us, for us investors, when we're looking for that, right? Can I share another clip with you real fast? Dave, can I say one more quick thing? Yeah, yeah, please do. In the cycle business, you know, uh, this is starting to look to me like and I just thought of this, the 80s when, uh, uh, you know, we were in a boom cycle there for a bit and uh, people were building or, or builders were building and converting uh, apartments into condos and condos were the big rage. I mean, it was like condo, condo, condo. Well, yeah. then all of a sudden the market kind of dried up on those. 
and in terms of you know being able to sell them and then there was just condos all over the place that could be picked up really really cheap to me it's looking a little bit like that because we know we like i said earlier we've been in a boom economy builders have been trying to build as much as they possibly can of course apartments and single family houses and if you look around you know drive around a little bit you can see all the construction still moving at a pretty high rate that's right so to me it looks like we're kind of coming to a head here if all of a sudden the demand drops and interest rates go up and values go down what what's going to happen next well it's probably going to be an oversupply of of houses which is something that uh, we haven't seen in the last couple of years that's exactly right and as we're recording this by the way it's uh, valentine's day we're recording this uh, uh happy valentine's day uh to everyone uh, i hope you have a great great valentine's day or have had a great valentine's weekend however you guys did it but to your point steve uh mortgage applications are up over eight percent over eight percent over the past few weeks that is is that new applications or those, is that refinance applications those are those are new applications and that's wow. that that's that rush i was mentioning earlier you know the fed did not increase those rates and people are like let's take advantage of this before they do it that's mm. creating that rush to the doors you know of 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 the fine of the uh, mortgage world get as many sold before the rates go up. they're still going to sell some after the first possibly even the second they're still going to sell houses i mean that's not going to stop but as those rates go up slowly those values are going to have to peak and then potentially even come down slightly they're just going to have to and that's where we find the opportunity well that's what we were saying earlier when the rates are down so low that pushes the value of the houses up because people can afford to pay more and uh if the rates go up then the value of the houses have to go down to balance that equation so let's listen to what they have to say about you know a couple different aspects of these opportunities it says real estate prices six million homeowners in forbearance very sad before they can receive stimulus money forbearance means they need to re-qualify for the loan they don't just get the money automatically they have to re-qualify if they lost their job or lost their credit they may lose their homes in other words if you lost your job in this COVID crisis which is fake and and you're losing your home, it's in forbearance, but you've lost your job, the bank's still not going to give you the money. It's not, it's, not, it's not like it's automatic. And then it's an opportunity to investors. It's sad news for homeowners and businesses and the country. Because if 6 million people are homeowners in America are in forbearance, that's a lot of people. That is an enormous a lot of, uh, amount of people. And it, it is what it is. You know, we, as real estate investors, I mean, these people took these forbearances. They lost their jobs. You know, they weren't making money. Uh, they took these forbearances where the banks knew that these folks weren't going to be able to pay back, you know, $10,000 in six months. You know, if they couldn't make their $2,000 payment, right? now you want to make that payment $3,500, you know, to catch up. Where, where's that money coming from if they're having a hard time finding work? Where is it coming from? So it's it's almost as if they've just set them up for failure. Like, okay, we're not going to foreclose on you. We're just going to keep, you know, adding up the money. And oh, by the way, 
we're only going to give you this much time to pay us back that much. Yep. So figure it out. <laughs> Say that again. It sounds like a mortgage rug pull. For oh, absolutely. Guys. I mean, and, and yeah. how are they to know? Because they don't, they're not in it. I mean, these are, we're talking about, you know, your everyday average Amer working class Americans. We're not talking about savvy real estate investors that are, you know, looking to maneuver left or right, depending on the circumstances, right? We're talking about regular everyday average working class Americans that this is happening to. And they, they simply don't know what to do. They don't know where that extra money is going to come from. And they, they start, you know, doing, you know, once if they have a job, they know they need to make more money because the job they had was enough for them to pay a $2,000 mortgage, not a $3,500 mortgage. So they start making different decisions. They start trading more time for more money, less time at the house they're trying to save, right? Less time with the family they're trying to keep shelter over. And it's, a, it's, a, it's just this ugly thing that pushes people right into, you know, a rental market. It just pushes them right into a rental market. Exactly. So what does that mean for us as real estate investors? Well, for us as real estate investors, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it puts us, I think, Steve, in a, in a very precarious situation where it's, okay, you're, you're taking advantage of the people in this bad situation so that you can make money. But it's not just that we're taking people, I'm talking specifically about subject to opportunities, right? We're helping these people save their credit. You know, whatever monies they had in this thing, is, they've already lost it because they couldn't pay it. Because of the, you know, potentially the de depreciated value of the home because of any market conditions that may exist at that time. But we know that they're behind on their mortgage. That means legal fees. That means late fees. That means you know, higher interest in some cases, and then the accumulation of the previous, the missed payments, all those things, you know, in one big ball. And for a lot of people are, are just far beyond whatever they even put down on the house that they may have been saving up for five years to do. And now they're not going to be able to pay it back in six months. So that's where folks that do the, either they're buying houses you know, that are in those situations or they're taking them over subject to that saves that person's credit. They live to see another day, you know, and it's yeah, easier yeah. for them to get into um, a rental property. But for us, Steve, for us. But why? but why would we as investors want that house? Because now there's a bunch of cash that has to be paid out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To, to straighten that out. Uh, people are going to need money to move and they're going to need money to pay back the forbearance. Some, some of those people thought the forbearance was, Oh, I, I don't have to ever pay it back. And no, it means you, you're, we're just going to let you skate for right. a bit. We're just going to keep it on there and add it up. But, uh, so why would we want to do that when, uh, now the value of the property has gone down It's probably negative equity situation. So mm -hmm. what's in it for us as investors? Well, from my perspective, it's cash flow because we're going into that. We're not in it for an equity position, but we are in it for the future position of equity, right? So we know that rents aren't going down, right? The only way that's going to happen is if people are leaving your town. Even if the home values come down, we're still going to watch rents go up 2 3% a year, sometimes even more than that, right? I mean, there, mm -hmm. are, there are situations that I'm familiar with where people's rent went up $400 from 1300 to 1700 in a single year, you know, and that is 
a deal breaker for a lot of folks. But the point I'm trying to make is we know rents are going to go up. We know that. And we know that we have opportunities out there to owner finance that property to someone. We can uh, rent it out potentially just as a regular rental or we can Airbnb it. I mean, there's a ton of different options for us to make money, but we're playing the cash flow game. We're making so more. We're, as usual, we're looking for the, the gaps in the market. Absolutely. We, we so, talked about it in the beginning. You know, yeah. what, would we rather be wholesaling? Would we rather be fix and flipping than, you know, managing some kind of a rental portfolio? You know, sometimes some type of an asset that we're holding. Yeah, we probably would. But by doing that, by taking advantage of the cycle today, it sets you up for huge paydays two, three years from now. Huge paydays. Huge paydays. You know, what you just spoke of is what we, what would we rather do? And that's really more of our personalities. That's for sure. Uh, but, you know, I stepped back from that a little bit and I said, hey, you know what? There's other people who love to do the things that I don't like doing. That's right. And so it's pretty easy to hire them like property managers, you know. That's for sure. And so to me, it, at this point, it, it doesn't matter, you know, whether I'm wholesaling something, fixing, flipping. I don't really want to fix and flip anything right now because how do you, how do you manage those costs? I don't know how. Um, and, and come out of it and getting labor these days is a real challenge. And we talked about material costs. We didn't even talk about the labor costs, which have gone up significantly as well. Mm -hmm. So it, that's that's a real challenge. So again, we, what you said earlier was the marketplace is going to dictate which way we move. And so uh, to that point, moving into something that's already fixed, we don't have to do with deal with the material costs. We don't have to deal with the labor costs. We all we have to do is deal with fixing the financial end of the business and then having our imagination on the other side of it was okay now we have the house what do we do with it yeah it's it's always what's next right so you know what's next and where are we going to go and i thought that the uh that robert kiyosaki and ken had an interesting take on on where it is to go so let, let's check that clip out real quick okay these businesses are going to leave the non-anchored groceries as an example these malls are already big companies taking a look at these for redevelopment into a multi-family and they're looking at some distribution and things like that even corporate headquarters we're starting to see already this happen you're going to see multi-family in certain growth markets where people are going and where jobs are going we're already seeing for example oracle moved out of california to austin that's a massive, massive real estate play. Yes, it's big news, but it's really big for Austin, especially in the area around where they're going to move. So, you know, we we are seeing that already. We've we've been witnessing that, you know, over the past couple years. But, you know, mm -hmm. really in the past year, we've been watching these companies, certain companies like BlackRock, flex their muscle. You know what I mean? And and come in and. Zillow had a problem and they came in and they bought seven or 8,000 houses from them just in one fail swoop, right? And uh, as we know, Zillow made some pretty bad uh, acquisitions decisions. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> pretty, pretty bad. Pretty bad. But, <laughs> but, uh, 
these companies that, that are point, mm -hmm. what you're saying there is you know you and i are in a pretty unique situation being in the metro atlanta area where there are a lot of large corporations and companies and hedge funds and investment companies and REITs coming into Atlanta to pick up a lot of this real estate. And so, you know, we see what's going on with the multi multifamily and the, the raise, the rise in prices in real estate. And, you know, Southeast is kind of known for really great values in real estate. And I've always kind of sat back and th thought, wow, Atlanta, why aren't the prices higher? And, uh, well, now I'm seeing that, well, prices are going up, um, you know, between all of the industry coming in here, it's just cheaper and better to do business here than it is in California, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and there's a million reasons as to why that is, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, Ge or, geographical or location, minutes. right? It's it's geographical location. You know, it's a it's a you know it's a global hub. You can get anywhere without necessarily having to uh, definitely in the United States without having to catch a, a layover. So you can just get in and out. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to be in the Atlanta metropolitan area by itself, but the southeastern region as a whole is is feeling that Texas is 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 getting it. Arizona is getting it. Do you know? that there is about a 4 million home shortage in in the state of Arizona. They have not been preparing at all for the boom that they've had over the past 10 or 15 years. You know, but that- I know that. Yeah. I know the market's hot. Yeah, I know again, it's super hot in Arizona. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean the temperature, I mean the it, real estate market. It, in both ways, literally, literally yeah. and figuratively. But, but you know, it's unique. there's no humidity, so you know you can't really tell it's hot. Oh, <laughs> I I beg to differ. <laughs> Any place you go that has a heat advisory for your pets, I don't know if you want to live there. I mean, it is hot. Super yeah, right. Hot. You know, but yeah, man. I mean, that's where that's where we are. You know, the the state of the real estate union today in 2022 is of in in January. 2020 or excuse me february 2022 is that we are at a precarious place we are at this tipping point and it's not gloom or doom it's where's the opportunity as a real estate investor and following that opportunity and understanding the signals the signs that will tell you what to do because you don't want to run around here uh trying to fix and flip houses when values have fallen already, right? Unless you're getting an absolute steal because you have to make sure you can sell that property. You know, we saw that, you know, in 2008, people were, you know, doing their, at least trying to do the same thing that they'd been doing before until everything just dried up. But you have to move with the markets. You have to understand when it's time to play the short-term game and when it's time to play the long-term game and how that benefits you. Right. You can't be a one trick pony and real estate investor. You have to get your education about what to do in certain specific situations. In other words, if you're just a wholesaler in this market, you know, you're probably you're suffering, you know, big time. Yeah. So, you know, and if you're just, if that's all you have in your toolbox and you need to go try different, different stuff. That's all, you know, you need to learn as much as you possibly can. And, 
And hey, look, um, you know, I've been at this for a while. I'm going to a seminar myself next week. You know, I want to, I want to, there's always a little nuance here and there to pick up. And it's, you know, there's, there's only one constant in the universe anyway, and that's called change. That's right. So, you know, let's just get rid, you know, just accept, hey, it's going to be, something's going to change. It's always going to change. And you might as well get as much education as you probably possibly can. And hey, hey, this thing's, this is out of state. I'm not, you know, it's not that expensive to go, but you know, I'm going to have quite a few hundred bucks in it by the time I get there and do a hotel and all that stuff. And Miles, I think you're going with me, right? That's correct. And I, and I got to yeah. tell you, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to, to Steve's point, guys, on the way out, you have to be able to understand what's going on in these, in these various points in an economic cycle. That is why there is so much benefit to working with, you know, a mentor, a coach, or whatever, you know, because they've already been through it. I'm not saying you got to come and work with us. Of course, we'd love that to be the case, but you have to find someone that, that fits for you. And if you haven't lived through this economics, an economic cycle, down point, and how you can figure out how to balance that. I mean, and when I say live through, I don't actually mean live. I mean financially economically lived through it where where you were putting up dollars and receiving dollars through it and understood those things if you're in it right now before it gets too bad and and when i say bad i mean before it shifts to a place that is unrecognizable to you get yourself a mentor get a teacher and take full advantage of that information and experience they have because that's going to help you navigate your way through any shift in an economic cycle so that you can always take advantage of it and not be in feast or famine mode because no one wants to be in feast or famine mode. And, and, you know, there's not really a template for subject to or wholesaling or renovating or Airbnb. There's not a template. You know, we have, we have regular generic type contracts, but when I, when every time I write an offer, I'm writing something different in there to adjust for that particular situation. So that's the type of flexibility you need as an investor. So you can look at the situation, you, you know, you can't go in and say, I'm going to do this. You know, you have to listen to your people. They tell you what it is their situation is. And you, you, you know, we're, we're problem solvers, period, end of story. That's it. But you got to know what the problem is before you can solve it. Amen to that. And on that note, guys, we're running up against time. We appreciate you for, for watching. If you're on YouTube, for listening. If you're listening on whatever podcast platform, uh, reach out to us. Hit some of the links uh, in the description here. We're going to put a link to this video, this Robert Kiyosaki and uh, uh, Ken um, McElroy uh, video, because I think it's important that you watch the whole video. So we look forward to working with you in the future potentially definitely in communicating with you uh for whatever your real estate needs are this is your man miles hey this is steve Conley. thanks for watching hashtag unemployable <laughs> and we'll see you next week peace